What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And first things first, as always, I want to pause and I want to thank you so much for being here. There are millions of other podcasts you could be listening to, millions of other things that you could be doing and giving your attention to, but you've chosen to tune in here today to give your time to listening to the show. And I want to thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for the support. My goal is to give you the best return on your time as I possibly can. So I want you to walk away from this episode or from any other episode with something that you can take with you and use in your life immediately to be a better man, better husband, better father. That's what I want you to take away from today's episode. So today we have a full-length interview with the one and only Ken Rideout. So Ken has an unbelievable story, including a chaotic childhood, working summers as a prison guard and drug addiction. Through it all, he managed to work his way onto a trading desk on Wall Street, where his professional career began. And now he has shaped himself into a world-class marathon runner. He was actually deemed the world's best marathon runner over 50 by the New York Times. Ken is a no-nonsense, salt-of-the-earth, would-do-anything-for-anybody type of guy who leads from the front in every way, every day. Before Ken and I spoke, I felt deeply drawn to him and his story for a few different reasons. Number one, he adopted his oldest daughter. And for those of you who may not have followed along here, my wife and I recently adopted newborn twins. So it was really great getting to connect with him about that. Number two, in Ken's Wall Street days, he worked for a company called Canner Fitzgerald. Now, Cantor Fitzgerald's headquarters was located in the World Trade Center. Ken happened to be in London on September 11th, 2001, but he lived through the experience of losing many of his friends and colleagues to the tragedy. My uncle, my dad's youngest brother, Glenn Wall, also worked for Cantor Fitzgerald. On 9-11, he was at work on the 105th floor of Tower 1, and unfortunately, he did not survive. As you can imagine, 9-11 is a big deal for my family, and getting to speak to someone who was basically there for it was a really unique, a bit odd, but a unique experience for me. We spoke at length today about the importance of managing our mental health through physical exercise and how there's absolutely no excuse not to make the time for exercise to take care of ourselves, and that by choosing to not take care of ourselves and bring our best selves to the table, we're actually cheating those around us. We also talked about holding our kids accountable, and Ken breaks down the values that he focuses on the most with his four kids. Above it all, Ken is an incredible man, husband and father, and it was an honor to host him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Ken Rideout. All right, Ken Rideout. Welcome to the Dad the Band podcast, my friend. Uh, Thanks for having me. appreciate you. Yeah, super pumped to get to have you on. I've been following you for... A little while now um i heard you on rich rolls podcast i think i think a lot of people came across your story um listening to listening to that episode um when i was listening to to that conversation unbelievable episode by the way everybody should go listen to that a, a phenomenal conversation i was really drawn to your story for for a number of different ways and uh, i'm excited to kind of dig into some of those things today uh, but before we, I guess, dive into, you know, the nuts and bolts of what we're going to hit on today, you told me that you were recently at a, a mental health retreat. I'd love yes. to wade in right there. Let's, uh, let's, let's cannonball right in. Tell me about the retreat. Yeah, I went to a place called Onsite outside of uh, Nashville in Cumberland Furnace. I think it's a pretty famous place for, um, I mean, it's called a trauma healing center, of course, 
you know, when I went there, I was like, listen, I don't think I had much trauma. You know, I had the typical like, uh, you know, bullshit everyone has to deal with in life. And then reflecting back on some of the stuff that I had gone through as a child and a young adult, the uh, woman after a few days of intensive one on one therapy was like, how would you feel if your own children had to deal with any of the stuff you had to deal with? And that's like when it really hit home for me that I was like. I'd never forgive myself if my kids experience one tenth of what I had gone through as a child. But of course, when we're dealing with it, you know, uh, with regards to ourselves, we don't nearly have as enough comp enough compassion, or at least I didn't enough compassion and understanding for myself as I might have for others, and uh, or at least you know, compassion for myself. And um, yeah, I didn't know I needed it as much as I did, but I uh, I got a lot out of it. It changed my life. It was transformative. Um, yeah, it was expensive, but in hindsight, um, I would have paid five to ten times what it cost, and um, I can't believe it took me as long as it did to um, come to these realizations. What uh, What led you to it? What led you to actually make it a happen and go down there? Um, I was doing a much better job of performing for others um, uh, via outlets like social media than I was at um, showing up for my own family and doing all the right things that I that I knew I needed to do at home. And as a result, because I have such a strong uh, wife, she was basically holding everything together while I was uh, – emotionally and physically absent at times and, and, and much more concerned with my uh, public facing persona versus my um, private life. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I figured these things out sooner than later. And, um, you know, basically just wanted to and needed to be a better dad and husband and, um, you know, definitely feel like I'm on the road to recovery in, in, in that department. And uh, more importantly, uh, just being happy with myself versus, um, you know, constantly seeking the approval of others um, in, in any way, shape or form. I mean, you know, it sounds cliche, but before you can uh, be there for others and love others, you have to love yourself and really uh, mean that it's not just words. You have to figure out a way to, um, show up for yourself in all areas of life, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And, uh, you know, uh, you hear people say this shit all the time, but it's, it's sometimes the words are, are empty and hollow unless you take a, take time to really reflect and, and take a deep look at yourself and do a like strong self-assessment and, and get your, um, you know, get all your oars in the water. I mean, since I've been there, every every single area of my life has improved exponentially. Even even running. I mean, my 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 running times and efforts have improved dramatically in two weeks. It's crazy as it sounds because I thought I was already getting as much as I could out of myself, but I realized that there was a huge. Um, mental health component that was critical to um, you know being able to exert yourself physically to the uh, extent that I was. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been an incredible experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, good on you, man, for, for digging in and going, going through the ringer, uh, you know, for the benefit of those around you, that's, that's outstanding. Is there anything that stands out as like something that have you uncovered, maybe something that you learned that was holding you back more than you thought it was like, was there anything when you got into it, you were like, 
oh shit, this is really holding me back? Or was it more of just a gradual unpacking your life to this point? Yeah, there was no like one single revelation. It was just a, um, a, a fundamental understanding of, um, who I am, what I'd been through, what I'd done, how I was behaving and, um, seeing things through a different lens. Yeah. Is running helping you with that? Is that, is that what drew you to running in the first place? I mean, running, I was always physically fit. I was always into fitness and, um, you know, at some point when I, um, in, in my, uh, drug addiction recovery, I discovered running and, um, you know, having gone through addiction and then found running, I basically at some point was like, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being mediocre. I'm not going to show up at, uh, running races just to be another participant. I need to make some noise near the front challenge for wins. Initially my age group, then the overall wins. And now I feel, you know, disappointed if I don't win every single race that I participate in, including like major marathons. And that's just been a gradual progression in terms of mindset and performance. Yeah. Um, man, I I've, when I was listening to you talk with, with Rich, I was cracking up. You were talking about like you getting into running and being like, Oh, bunch of nerds. I can take these guys down. Like this competitive spirit to running, that I hadn't really considered, you know, I ran competitively when I was young, 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 like middle school, <laughs> loved running after that, but hadn't run in the last decade. And at the last six months or so, I've been getting back into it. But when I heard you talking about that, like I saw you as the example of like, okay, like running can be this, like you can bring a competitive edge and, and a ferocity to, to running. And it's, I'll tell you what, it's fired me back up and I've been running not every, I've run about every other day now. And it's like for my own mental health, just getting me, out of the house moving i'm typically a weightlifter but now getting outside all the time running i mean total like night and day game changer yeah i lift weights too i don't think it's one or the other and i also don't think you have to run every other day i do it every single day and never yeah. miss yeah. and um you know but that's that's a topic for deeper um psychological analysis maybe that's my own maybe that's my new um form of medicine or addiction or a way that i um look for positive reinforcement for people who knows i i just know that it's something that i have to do for my own mental health but mm -hmm. at some point it probably deserves a deeper um a deeper analysis or evaluation as to like what's the true underlying driving factor or motivating factor that being said i can't deny the um the rewards and the gifts that is given me and, 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 um, I hesitate to say accolades, but it's given me, um, a platform and a forum to kind of share my message. And, um, you know, one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is living a life of service and, and, and being of service to other people. Um, I'm one of those people I, I, I get much more out of giving gifts. Like for instance, at Christmas, I love watching the kids open their presents much more than getting gifts. I almost feel like undeserving at time of gifts, uh, getting any kind of gifts or rewards. But again, that's part of the whole self, uh, self-evaluation and uh, psychotherapy process. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you thought the two were linked, the, you know, the, the success you found in running and then getting over the addiction from your past. And it sounds like you've maybe identified some, some red thread in, in some way, shape or form, uh, between the two. 
but yeah, it's, I think uh, if you zoom that out just a little bit, just the general idea of, you know, the things we want to do, the people we want to serve, the people we want to help, the things we want to do in the world versus the time that we spend at home with our kids as dad sitting on the couch, hanging out, kicking it, you know, doing the things that we do as dads. And there's, it sometimes feels like there's just so much shit you want to do and just not enough time to do it all. And you, like, I was journaling about this yesterday, just like all the things I want to go out and accomplish things I want to do. And it's all, you know, I, I argue with myself, like, is that selfish of me to want to go do these things? Or is it selfish of me to not be that example for my kids that I can go do those things? And man, I, you're not the only one wrestling with that. I think we all wrestle with that in, uh, in some capacity. Well, the one thing is for sure. And one thing that I preach is that you can't be the best at anything for anyone else unless you're the best version of yourself physically and mentally. So if you don't take care of your physical and mental health, well, at some point, someone else is going to have to do that for you. And I'm trying to prolong that as long, uh, put that off for as long as I can. That's my worst fear is having my children have to take care of me. So you know, for, for everyone, your biggest responsibility in the world, more important than your kids, more important than your marriage or your wife is your own health. If you don't, that that's you, that's on you. If you don't take care of that, shame on you. Cause you can't be the best for anyone else if you're not taking care of yourself. And if that means taking a little extra time for yourself, whether it's mentally or physically to do the things you need to do to be the best version of yourself, well, you're cheating other people, all the people around you. And it's easy to say, I'm not going to work out because I have to do uh, X, Y, Z. I'm not saying every day you have to do this and do things the way I do it. I clearly don't have all the answers or I wouldn't have to go to a mental health facility to get my shit together. But I will say you cannot neglect your own health to go and and, and make excuses to go, you know, show up for every single event for everyone else when you're not prioritizing yourself at times. Yeah. I, in the past I've fallen into that trap of, you know, like if I go do this, if I go take care of myself, go do the thing I want to do, need to do, go do the workout, go do the longer run, whatever it is. I feel guilty that I'm taking that time away from my kids. But what happens is I go sit in my living room instead of doing that. And then I'm just kind of, I'm kind of a crappier dad the whole rest of the day. So they're kind of just getting more watered down time with me as opposed to me just go taking that hour or two hours and then coming back and being able to be 110% of me, being a great dad in a less amount of time. And that's something that's, you know, I've just had to continually screw that up for a few years to even start to scratch the surface of understanding it. But um, yeah, it's it's easier said than done sometimes. Well, the truth is you're just like, really what you're doing is just having some extra sleep or some extra free time in the evening by yourself because we all have time to spend an hour on ourselves, even if it means getting an hour less of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's something I'm learning. I'm learning that right now. I, I mentioned to you before um, when we were working on setting this whole thing up, my wife and I just adopted twins and man, you talk about like putting another like set of demands on your time and your capacity just mentally and physically, you know, sleeping two, three hours and like, all right, well, you know, I still got to take care of myself even more. So I think at the beginning it was like, okay, gosh, I, you know, maybe I need to let, let some of the workouts go, but it's, it's more the opposite I've learned. I'm like, oh my God, if I go now, I feel it. I miss a workout one day. I'm like the next day I'm like, I'm cranky as hell. And I'm like, I really got to go work on this. Um, yeah. 
and I know you adopted your your daughter. Uh, I'd love to hear you maybe reflect on that a little bit. What what led you to that, and uh, and how did that all go down? Yeah, well, when you were just talking, it reminded me um, of what I always try to keep at top of mind is these are all like seasons of our lives. They're they're chapters in our personal novel. Um, two or three hours sleep here and there. These 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 chapters when you're in them seem to go on forever, but they're over before you know it in hindsight. So yeah, okay, two or three hours sleep for the next few months, maybe a year, but in three, four years, you're not even going to remember. So I try to keep that. I try to be mindful of that kind of stuff when it's happening is like, okay, this is not forever. In prison terms, they would say like, I could do a year standing on my head. I could hold my breath for six months if you were talking about serving time. But um yeah, with regards to my daughter, we adopted her in 2010. Um, she, my wife and I got married later in life. I think I might have been 37. She was 34. Um, we started trying to have kids, weren't having them naturally. We didn't have any identified uh, medical problems. We just weren't getting pregnant. And um, we were always going to adopt. We wanted to adopt multiple children. So we started the process international. We wanted to adopt from a place where we could make the most difference. It had nothing to do with race or ethnicity or uh, country of origin. We just wanted to adopt from a place where orphans might not even survive. And uh, Ethiopia happened to be the path of least resistance. So we um, very quickly matched up with my daughter as a newborn baby. She was very sick, uh, malnourished. We went over and adopted her. And we went over in November, early November. My wife came home with my daughter on late December, right before Christmas. And uh, coincidentally, while we were over there for a week or two before we got custody of my daughter, I went for a week a week I think and then um so we were alone together over there my wife got pregnant at some point must have got pregnant that week um I came back home to New York she stayed in Ethiopia lived in Addis Ababa for two months with custody of my daughter and okay. um while the while the pro while the paperwork got processed and um you know when I went back over uh the week of Thanksgiving brought a pregnancy test she was pregnant she had been pregnant three times we had seven uh we had been seven in vitro, three miscarriages. So I wasn't super hopeful that everything would go smoothly, but nevertheless, she came home on December 18th, was uh, pregnant with my son who happened to be due on or about my daughter's first birthday. He ended up coming like three weeks early. Um, and yeah, we came home with, we went over there with none and we came home with one baby and one in the oven and, um, yeah, now we have three biological boys and um, one beautiful adopted daughter. She's now um, twelve years old. She'll be she'll be a teenager in July, which I'm dreading. Uh, I believe that. And yeah, it's you know, like I said, it's all chapters, man. It's all like seasons. Every chapter comes a new challenge, you know going through puberty, going to middle school, worrying about the opinions of others, and watching them learn and figure things out for themselves and wanting to explain to them like, Oh, this is all bullshit. You're not even going to know these people in five years. I know their opinion seems to matter now, but you know, it's easy to forget that you were once in those shoes and once cared and lived and died with the opinions of your classmates and your peers. So I don't know. I have found it to be very challenging because you know, the expression, you're only as happy as your saddest kid. And, um, 
when my kids hurt, I hurt. And I want to protect them from all the like horrors of the world. And I don't want anyone to hurt their feelings more so than physically. I worry about their emotional well-being, maybe because I'm such a mental patient myself. But it, 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 those are some of the challenges that I, that I find difficult in, 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 in raising young kids is just being uber concerned about their emotional well-being. Yeah. Uh, how, um, how, I guess, how closely do you monitor that letting them kind of experience some of that pain? Uh, you know, oh, oh, you talk to about the point, to the point of being overbearing to them where they're like, dad, I don't want to talk about my feelings anymore. <laughs> so yeah, it's constant, constant communication, constant connecting. I talk to them all the time. Sometimes most of the time they don't really like it, but I don't really care. I need to check in with them all the time. Yeah. So you've got, so you got four kiddos. Um, I've got four now as well. Same three boys and a girl. We're opposite order. Little, little girls, one of the twins, one of the youngest. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to know, you know, like as you're raising kids, like what are the core values is a cheesy overused term, but like, what are the biggest principles that you think are, um, you know, that stay top of mind to you that you want to pass along to your kids? Make sure like if they, Hey, if they only learn these couple of things from me, Here's what they would be. What what would those things be for you? Kindness, confidence. Um, those are the two kind of overriding themes in our houses: uh, kindness, confidence, and effort. When we everyone's involved in activities, they don't have to be necessarily sports. They all play sports, but I think most people would expect me to be like slightly uh, overbearing sports dad, but I think that I'm the opposite of that. I don't emphasize performance. I only emphasize effort. You don't have to be good, but you do have to try hard. There's no reason that you can't be the hardest worker on the field or, 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 or on the team or in the whatever whatever the venue is that's what i preach i also preach um kindness and being nice to each other and defending the weak and 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 never uh being a bully and and protecting people from bullies um and just being respectful and kind to the teachers and um and coaches my youngest son he's um really into jujitsu and is like he's he's really good and um you know after practice every day he thanks the teachers he thanks the coaches he really listens to what i say and he listens to like the things that i teach him and uh i'm just so proud of him and the other kids do too but it doesn't come as naturally to them sometimes their own insecurities make it hard for them to you know go and say thank you to the teacher etc etc but they um like i said we just preach effort just effort 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 when it comes to sports and um yeah it seems to be working they seem to be pretty well adjusted um you know we always wish our kids or hope our kids will be little superstars and ultimately i'm trying to raise happy kids like my the little one who is um, probably the best of all of them as terms in terms of being an athlete he's uh you know he'll go to jujitsu class and then he comes home and uh gets on his sewing machine he wanted a sewing machine for christmas he's just like an eclectic <laughs> interesting cool little dude that's that's awesome um you, you mentioned that the one is maybe a little bit more confident than the others confidence is something that i'm always working on with both of my kids, especially my oldest, he's a very capable kid and I see that he wants to do things, but I also see that he's sometimes scared to go do them. 
use the example of, you know, something as simple as being a little scared to go up and, and say thanks to coach after the game. Like, what do you do with your kid? Like, how do you handle that situation? Cause I've been there and I'm like, Hey buddy, you know, same thing. Let's go say thanks to coach. And it's like lockdown mode. All of a sudden we're super shy and I'm going to hide behind dad's legs. And I'm sitting there like, what am I going to throw him at coach to like, go get my high five? Yeah, I, I never man. know how to handle that one. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm pretty tough with them when it comes to that. It's probably something I need to work on, but I just don't accept that. I'm like, I I'm not interested in what makes you uncomfortable or comfortable. You're going to a say thank you. But they also have come to expect that from me. Mm -hmm. And um, like I especially with the little one when he plays, when he goes to jujitsu, I always talk to him about fear. And I talk to all my kids about fear because the only difference between the hero and the coward is how they behave. And, um, you know, I explain to them frequently, probably much to their chagrin. They hate my, they hate my pep talks, but um, it makes them uncomfortable. But I would tell them all the time, like it's completely normal to have fear fear about getting up to bat, fear about trying a new gymnastics move. The only difference is what are you going to do with those feelings? Everybody feels them. You feel them before you're going to do an interview. You feel them before you have to give a presentation in work. But at the end of the day, if you can't figure out a way to handle that fear, that's okay. Sometimes you just have to accept the fact that you're going to do it scared. The end. Yeah. There's no other way around it. And, um, you know, that seems to work with them. They, you know, that sometimes they'll tell me like, yeah, dad, I was so scared, but I just decided I was, I was going to do it while I was scared. Yeah. I bet they tell you that was so much pride too. I think that's the coolest <laughs> thing when you get your kids to do something that they're scared of is seeing like how elated they are. Like, oh my God, I did it. You know, like they yeah. can't believe it. They're walking, you know, they're walking three inches taller after that. Yeah, I'm surprised at sometimes how open they are with their emotions and their feelings. And, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised. But, you know, it's a constant um, struggle and um, work in progress to try to do all the right things because, you know, it's like my son, my middle son plays baseball. And I always remind him, you have to have a short memory like a golfer. Like you hit one bad shot, you can't harp on that. You have to move on to the next thing. And it's the same thing with parenting. You're going to make mistakes. The best thing you can do is just acknowledge it, apologize and move it, keep it moving, you know, moving on. And um, so I spent a lot of times, I spent a lot of time apologizing to my kids for uh, my outbursts. I can be um, at times overly aggressive and, um, and, you know, again, that's my own um, insecurities. My own defense mechanism is to be overly aggressive with people as a way of protecting my own fragile emotions. And um, it applies to my kids too. And I have to explain this to them and remind them again, which makes them super uncomfortable having these heart to heart conversations, but <laughs> I really don't care. I know that they're important. Yeah. And, and man, that, that's what they're going to learn. That's what they're going to remember. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, man, dad yelled at me. They're going to remember, oh, man, dad had his stuff together enough to be co conscious in the moment, recognize if, you know, he felt like he made a mistake, he was going to own it. He was going to talk to me about it. I think that's so <laughs> I think that's the most powerful thing in the world. Um, and such a great lesson for for anybody. Um, man, that's that's awesome. Um, well, Ken, I want I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're getting close to the end. So I got I got a couple quick questions. I'm going to run by sure. it. I hit everybody with them. And then uh, I'll get you out of here. So question number one, uh, aside from your family, what are you the most proud of? 
Mm, I'm proud of myself. When I look at where I came from, I grew up in a house where uh, my stepfather and uh, my brother, who's 11 months younger, are both ex-convicts and former inmates in the prison that I was a guard at. Um, I don't know that I would have been able to say that prior to my experience at onsite recently, but the truth is like, yeah, I'm proud of myself. Like I did this. I created this life from nothing with no guidance, no instruction manual, no one telling me what I should and shouldn't do. I just instinctively knew the life I wanted to create for myself. That's awesome. Uh, question number two, this has to do with the word legacy. Uh, so I think about, you know, we, there's a lot of connotations to that word, whether it's, you know, money, generational wealth, a lot of different things get attached to it. When I think about it, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons that I'm going to get to leave behind with, you know, the people that I love the most and the people that God willing, I'm going to get to leave behind. And those two buckets falls my kids. Um, so through that lens, if I said, you know, Hey, Ken, you know, what do you want your legacy to be with your four children? How would you answer that question? I want them to know uh, their dad was uh, was an overachiever who was kind to everyone and respected by everyone, but he was respected because he gave respect to everyone he met. That's awesome. I love it, man. Well, Ken, thank you so much for making some time for us today. Like I said, such an honor, such a privilege. Um, I told you I felt connected to your story in a few different ways from the adoption, um, from kind of falling in love with running again and um, I know you worked at Cantor Fitzgerald when 9-11 happened. My uncle worked there. He was a, a senior vice president up on the 105th floor. He passed away, uh, Tower One. Um, I don't know if you ever came across a guy named Glenn Wall, but uh, he was he was my uncle. And when I heard you speaking about you know that whole experience when you were on Rich's podcast, I just felt a... Uh, a warm proximity, I guess, to, uh, to, to your story. So, um, super, super grateful to have had the opportunity to have you on here. Super excited to get to learn from you and continue to follow you and stay in touch. So, um, Ken, where's the best place for people to find you, follow you, le learn more about you? Mm, that's a good question. I guess Instagram. <laughs> Can I doubt Instagram? I, I think that something, if you, I think if you search my name on Instagram, you'll see me there, but that's it. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to be less. I'm trying to be less concerned with um, how people find me. I'm, I am readily available, but I, I'm trying not to have too much of my self worth tied up in um, how the public and people who don't I don't know and they don't know me how they view me, and just trying to be uh, as good a person as I can to the people that matter. And if other people find motivation and inspiration from this then I'm super grateful and always happy to help anyone that I can, but I cannot let myself get wrapped up in worrying about what people think and how people view me other than just to be myself. So Instagram, short answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, amen to that. That's some wise words to drop the mic on right there. We'll link it up in the show notes. I know you got the ride out strong shirt on. We'll link all that up for the runners that are listening. If you are a runner, Check out Ride Out Strong. You'll be glad you did. Ken, thank you so much for making the time, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. appreciate the time. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you. See you.